Hey guys, I'm Nick here with Tanner and Zach, and thanks for tuning into the Voyager Way, a podcast dedicated to sharing our passion for everything outdoors with listeners just like you. Whether it's talking about incredible trips we've been on, teaching you the best way to get your own adventure started, or talking with amazing guests about the incredible things they've done or places they've been. You can find it all here on the Voyager Way. What's good, everybody? Uh, this is episode number two of the Voyager Way podcast. Uh, today, we're going to talk about um, kind of our first year trip. So I know the, the previous episode we alluded to, uh, we briefly touched on our trips. Um, this episode, I just want to dive a little bit deeper into kind of any fun stories or anything that we had um, when we were sophomores in high school, which was very long ago for me, kind of long ago for you guys. Yeah. Um, freaking nuts. Yeah, every time I honestly- every time How long ago was that for you? That's, it was like, I think it was eight or nine years. Cause I know 2010? it's 2010. Yeah. Cause I, well, I graduated 2012, so 2010 10 years ago. Yeah. Jeez Louise. Yeah. Um, and I know how, I know how long it is because, uh, our family's dog boo, she was a puppy at my grad party. So it's like kid, that was when I graduated high school and she's like eight or nine. Wow. Yeah. So yeah. I always know it's that much longer anyway. So yeah, so I graduated 2000. Well, I went on the trip 2010, Zach, no, yeah, Zach, you would have gone in 2000. My first year was 2013. Okay, and then you were 2014. 2014, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so and that was kind of the cool thing, too, about this trip is even though you can be so many years apart, and there's been people, there's people's, people are having their kids go on the trip that they like they went, and now they're having their kids go on the trip. Huh. So that's, it's been around for almost 50 years. Um, there have been crews going up. Yeah, it's the, generational at this point. Yeah, but the cool thing um, is, and I'm, a, I'm actually in the process of writing a book about the program as well, and one of the things I talk about in the book is how, like, even though a lot of the things I'm talking about are, like, experiences that I had and that people I know had, it's, like, I was kind of worried that I wouldn't be able to, that it wouldn't be as, um, it wouldn't capture everything like I did, like, 30 years ago, but it's the same, it's, like, the same trip for all intents and purposes. You know what I mean? Like you're still going up in the woods with a canoe and a bunch of guys or girls. Um, even though some slight things might've been different, like a lot of the experiences that you have are kind of the same, which is, I feel like it'd be a really easy thing to have just a podcast about our first trips. Um, and so I guess that was kind of the thing we, we allude to with the first episode is Zach had been, he had been camping and you've been, you'd done stuff before this and Tanner, this is kind of our first, I might've been the first time I ever slept in a tent. It was definitely the first time I yeah, ever yeah. slept. So, like, event. Zach, he said, like, they, they had been going on trips since you were, like, three, you said? Three or four, yeah. yeah. Which, which is nuts. Nothing it's, to this extent by any means. But you, but, yeah, but you had, like, done the boundary waters and that kind of stuff, and Tanner and I hadn't gone until, like, what, we were 16, most people were 16 years old, 15 or 16 when you were yeah, sophomore? Yeah, in that age. I guess, and the girls, the girls go, like Zach said, when they're juniors in high school, so they're probably 16 or 17. But, I mean, but still young. Um, and so I know for my, like, for my first trip, my, especially since nobody, we had just moved. No, that was, we moved up to St. Cloud in, I was in fifth grade. So that was still kind of a while ago, but I didn't know anybody. A lot of people have either like older siblings that go, or they're like really close to somebody who they know went on the trip. Um, and I didn't really know a ton about it. I know some of my friends in high school had siblings that had gone on it. So I kind of got a little bit like some snippets from them. But for me, it was more just like a fun summer trip that I was going to do with my friends. Um, as opposed to some people kind of knew what they were getting themselves into. And I, I guess I just didn't really know what I was getting myself into as much as I don't think anybody really knows what they're getting yeah. themselves into. And that's the thing too. Like, I feel like a lot of people, they like, they hear a bunch of stuff from their siblings or from like some friends. And so they think they know what they're getting themselves into, but it's not, but they have no yeah. idea. Uh, and I think the cool thing about the program too, is like, 
there's other bigger companies similar to what we do in a way but we're i think different in a lot of our own ways as well like our program is very specific to like the central minnesota area every every year we usually have a couple people who have had parents go that maybe live further north or south of where we are but other programs of people fly in or come from other parts of the country or whatever but our preparation process is a lot longer than most people do um, because we want the participants to have that experience and go through the steps of dehydrating the food putting all the gear together making sure they know all the skills before they leave all of those kinds of things so the preparation period is a lot longer as opposed to flying in somewhere and then that same day you're leaving on your trip kind yeah of grab thing. your phone and do say that quote from the patagonia guy that's like as a, you're doing that i'll just say it, that's kind of nice too because then you learn those lifelong skills of like how to set up a trip right so you're not just like oh i went here and then i went on this trip because they took me like you you start by like looking like setting out the maps like okay let's start a route we're going on and then you gotta build your way up like okay what food are we gotta plan the menu and the, you, you do all that stuff so the next time you want to go on a little camping trip it's easy to plan it you've out done you've, already, you've already done, you've done it. it yeah 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 so zach's got what what is that yeah, so I, I don't speak French, so I don't know how to say his name, but it's the guy who founded um, Patagonia Clothing Company, Yvonne Chenard, I think is how you say his last name. He, he I think he puts it in um, to words really well. He talks about Everest. Um, I'm translating it a little bit more like into... Mount Everest, like the mountain. Yep, yeah, like climbing Mount Everest, but think in terms, uh, for the program at least, uh, I like to look at it in terms of paddling and canoeing, and I, I think this puts it into words kind of what the program does. Um, and he kind of says what people climbing Everest, like what it doesn't do for them. Um, and so what he says is taking a trip for six months, you get in the rhythm of it. It feels like you can go on forever doing that. Climbing Everest is the ultimate and opposite of that because you get these high-powered plastic surgeons and CEOs and they pay $80,000 to have Sherpas put the ladders in place and 8,000 feet of fixed ropes and you get to camp and you don't even have to lay out your sleeping bag. It's already laid out with the chocolate mint on top. The whole purpose of planning something like Everest is to affect some sort of spiritual and physical gain and if you compromise the process, you're an asshole when you start out and you're an asshole when you get back. Excuse my language, but yeah. Um, <laughs> well, I, I feel like, I can, and when you first read that too, it's like there's obviously people who go through some of those channels that are like they put a lot of work into it, and it's like it's the highest mountain on the planet. So it's obviously like a lot harder than you would like than just strolling like on one weekend just to do it. Um, but there is something being like saying, having said that, there is something to say for doing the whole process, which is what the Voyager program kind of tries to do, which is super awesome. Um, and I think that's one thing that is so unique about it as opposed to other programs is you don't get that whole process with a lot of places like these crews are starting their preparations like the guides are already starting to do stuff um, maybe not physically because they're in college and away but they're like contacting their participants like as early as like march or april okay. and they're not even leaving till like some crews aren't leaving till like july yep. and so like they're almost doing stuff for almost a half a year for before sure. they're even leaving yeah and so uh, they get to know each other so well before they even leave they know all the ins and out of all their gear how to dehydrate all their food like tanner said plan their whole route from scratch they know where they're going to start where they're going to end but they just need to figure out everything in between and 
and then you get there and it's not what you expect at all like one river could look like it's there on the map but you get there and it's just a pile of rocks yeah like exactly and and i feel like and going on that no matter how i feel like because zach and i both guided trips no matter how and tanner's been on a, a bunch as well no matter how well you think guide from a guide's perspective you've trained your kids and they know what they're doing you get on like the first night of camp and nobody has any idea what they're doing. Like you have to reteach. Not maybe I was just a bad guide, but I feel like we we taught our kids pretty well. Um, and it just seemed like you get there and they just forget everything. I, I think to 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 that point, I think it's also different because the program is very specific. I think with everything we do, we do for a specific reason because we've been the program is almost fifty years old now. So we've been doing things that we've figured out works best for what we do. And so like things like setting up camp they you've taught them all the hard skills as many of a soft skill stuff as you can all that and that stuff progresses as you go on the trip but uh we're just so specific i think with how we do stuff and so like when you get to camp like it, that that takes a little bit extra than you would yeah do. yeah, yeah. Okay, that makes sense um i guess going off of that what what was the hardest thing for you guys to learn your first trip like that first summer when you're going through pre-trip training and doing like learning all the hard skills and stuff what was the hardest thing for you to to kind of get a grasp on grasp on i think for me like the biggest realization that i came to was like if like for like what i was just saying like if you see on the map there's a river but you get there and it's just a pile of rocks well it's like well i'm not gonna magically just get to the next lake like i have to do this and so like so I, i think that's been like a huge thing like where if i see a creek and it looks like really sketchy kind of like to some people they're like absolutely like that's not paddleable but for me i'm like well i can do this like i might have to be doing more portaging than if i was on the mississippi or something but like my vision of like what's doable and like what my limits are changed significantly and you're saying going through the first trip like you thought that you couldn't do as much as you now know you could or yeah like i just realized like i could do so much more and like what i thought was impossible or like not doable yeah going like, oh, into it like we can't do it it's like no we can yeah exactly like just because you can't paddle it doesn't mean you can't still move your canoe from point a to point b and then start up again yeah whether thing. it's on your shoulders or your yeah there's it, you just have yeah. to have a new perspective of how you look at these different things yeah so. i would say that the most difficult thing for me was the j stroke yeah which is for those of you who don't know the paddle stroke it's a paddle stroke for the stern and when you're in the back of the canoe um, cause you have to be, you're the, you're well, the, steer? the steer. I didn't know no. what the hell. <laughs> you, you steer, you steer you the, the boat, you yeah. steer the boat. So the, the person in the bow, they're the motor. So they're just paddling straight and they're just going hard. The, fr- the front of the boat. The front, the yeah. The yeah. front of the boat's the bow. But so they're just going hard and you have to steer the boat with your strokes and they're, I mean, one, you're on either side. So if they're on the left, you're on the right. And if you're on the right, they're on the left, whatever. Um, so you have to. If you just paddle straight the whole time, you're going to turn the way uh, you're going to turn left if you're on the right side. If you paddle on the right side, you're going to go to the left. If yeah. you paddle on the left side, you're going yeah. to go to the right. And so learning that J stroke of trying to keep the boat straight while just being able to paddle was super difficult for me in training. And it wasn't up until I got on the trip actually to when you're doing it every day that you're like, okay, this isn't really that hard. Like, it gets a lot easier and 
I mean, you're, you're how many paddle strokes? Do you, I yeah, think we, we tried to count that. Yeah. We had that idea for that invention. We did have that. Idea. How many paddle <laughs> strokes? Because it's a lot of paddle yeah. strokes. Like one of those, like, like if you could somehow attach like a Fitbit or something That's to we a thinking. canoe or a paddle, so that like every stroke it would come. Dude, canoe, like click. Yeah. Yeah. We did the rough math, and it's it's a it's lot. A well, lot. And you've got on so many trips more than more trips than I have in years. Oh, it's ago. him. Yeah, you two. Yeah, Seven of them? Yeah. Um, well, that's the thing too. So, um, and just to add on to the, the J stroke thing, you want to stay, you, you're on different sides of the canoe as the person, uh, either in front or back of you so that you don't tip as easy. So if you're on both sides, if yeah. you're on the same side of the canoe, it's a lot, like it just doesn't work. So you, you should be on different sides of the canoe paddling. Um, and you don't want to, you don't want to paddle, have to switch sides paddling every time you have to steer some, it's a different way. So that's why you have the J stroke. So you can keep paddling on the same side and go right or left. And you can kind of correct for yourself while staying on the same side of the canoe. Um, and so like Tanner said, the J stroke is one of those things that, and a lot of kids struggle with this cause it's just, a, it's a weird motion and you have to do it. Like it just takes reps to kind of get used yeah, to it. 100%. Plus then when you get on to, when you get on trail after pre-trip training, you like now instead of an empty canoe with just two dudes in it or two girls in it, it's a full, a fully loaded canoe with yeah, a bunch of gear. A lot heavier. A lot heavier. Yeah. So it's in, and that's what I talk about in, in the, the book that I'm writing too, is like, you, you really can tell the kids that have put the extra time into the pre-trip training and the kids who haven't, because a lot of the times there's especially, so on, on the, that summer, since there's so many, since there's a lot of like usually anywhere from four to eight, it, and the number of crews depends, changes every single year, but there's usually a bunch of crews that go on the first session, which is earlier in the summer. And there's a bunch of crews that go on the second session, which is later in the summer. Um, and the first session crews obviously have a little bit less time to, to train. So they have to be a little more deliberate with their training um, as opposed to like the second, second session crews. But either way, there's like, there's a lot of stuff to, to prep for a trip like this. So there's not a lot of time. So the guides usually teach the kids the hard skills like one or two times. And then it's, it's kind of their responsibility to come out to base camp and practice whatever they think they need to um, so that they're ready for the trip. So it's a lot, it's a lot more responsibility than some of these kids have had. And, and it's, it's a lot it's a lot more based on what you do when you're by yourself, when no one's watching, right? So like people, like the guides aren't keeping track of how many hours the kids are putting into learning their knots, learning their paddle strokes, doing all that kind of stuff. You're just, you are just held responsible for once we teach you these things for one, like once or twice, we're always here to help. And like, if you, if you have questions and we'll try and make time, but obviously like the guides are really busy with a lot of behind the scenes stuff that they're doing. Um, but it's your responsibility to make sure that you're, um, in good enough shape to porge a canoe and can flip the canoe, um, and can paddle with a, with a loaded canoe and that kind of stuff. Um, so when you get, when you first, when you load that canoe up the first time, when you, you when you get on the river, the lake, or wherever you go on, you can see a lot of kids are going the complete opposite direction than they want to be going to. And it takes, it takes some kids back in stern. It takes like a, a canoe, like 10 minutes to get to the next spot they need to. And some are taking like 20 because you can just tell they're going, they're just zigzagging back and forth because they either don't have the J stroke down or they're not used to whatever is going on. Um, I will, I will just say that like one of the things that I don't think you could prepare for is like, like you said, when you're paddling, like when you're coming out here practicing, you're just like in a, in your shorts and a t-shirt, like tennis shoes, with one other buddy, right? And the, so the canoe is like super light. Yeah. So like it's a lot easier to steer the boat. And then when you get up on trail, you're packed and you got a bug net on and there's the heavy packs in the boat or whatever. It's a lot harder to steer. Flipping the canoe 
with oh, a pack it. on yep. and like actually on a portage where like maybe you have to stand on a rock or in some mud or something and it's like the bottom of the canoe is super wet and muddy and or it's there's just a bunch like of water in the, yeah yeah there's yeah. a bunch of water in the canoe like it it is so much different For like sure. that first flip like on the trail yeah. is so much different than just like being out here dry and like empty canoe you just like flip it on your back you're like oh hell yeah let's go yeah like, i do will say that that is when I, I can specifically remember my very first portage yeah. as well. Cause like, so that's the thing when the, the really only hard skill for like a, for portaging that the guides teach, teach the participants is like kind of how to flip. There's a, there's a right, I mean, there's a, a million ways to probably flip, flip a canoe on your shoulders, but there's a more efficient way to do it. So if you kind of lean it, if you squat down get the canoe up and then get your hips into it more, it takes less, it should take less arm power than just like picking it up and putting it on your shoulders. You, like if you if you use your hips well enough there's a way to use the momentum of the canoe to get it on your shoulders which that's the same thing hopefully the guides do a good enough job of teaching the kids like this might be without a pack on your back and tennis shoes on this flat pavement it's a lot easier to flip a canoe than when you're standing on a rock one foot higher than the yeah. other with a pack on your back and then you have to flip the canoe on your shoulders and it's got what a, how much water in it yeah so like right right now you might be able to pick it up and like with and kind of just muscle it up on your shoulders but we're teaching you this momentum way for like a reason because it's gonna be way harder when you get on a trail. It's cool though, cause like you see some of the people go to their meeting, their crew meeting where they're learning how to flip the canoes, and you can tell like some crews usually have somebody who's a little bit smaller than the rest of them. Are I mean not always, but um, but usually. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and you can always tell like they feel somewhat intimidated because they're smaller or mm-hmm. anything like that, and then they do it, and it's like oh wow like I, I can and i feel like that's like one of the first steps for a lot of people that they realize they can do more than they thought for sure because like that canoe is 17 feet long and you're it's basically a teeter-totter yep on your shoulders and it's 70 80 pounds whatever and so in your five foot four or whatever however taller you are and you come to that realization that you can do that without anybody else doing that with a pack on, like those kinds of things. Like that's just like what? a that's what we, satisfying uh, moment. We, in the, we were in the boundary wars this weekend with my buddy and he is, he's six one, probably a buck 80. And, he, and he's like, we played soccer at NDSU and he's a, he's a pretty well put together guy and he works out and he portaged, he portaged a canoe for the first time up in the boundary waters <laughs> this weekend. And we went probably, gosh, like no more than a hundred yards. Like it was not <laughs> a long portage. And he was like, it was it was over a couple like rocks and but it was nothing like nothing crazy like it was it was a path for sure and that's our thing up on up on trail when you're up in like the, the Canadian woods is sometimes there aren't port there aren't a lot of, aren't a lot of portage trails. Um, Nala's moving around a little bit right now, so she might be a little loud. But anyway, he, so at the end of this at the end of this portage, he was just bagging like he was like, "Dude, I have to get this thing off." I'm like, "No, you gotta like walk into the water and set it down lightly." Um, and he and so he put it down. He's like, "Dude." Like sophomores in high school do this. Sophomores or juniors in high school do this. I'm like, yeah, dude. he's like, I, I could not imagine with a pack on my, he didn't even have a pack on his back. It was literally just the canoe. He's like, dude, me and me as a sophomore in high school, I was like a buck 20, like five foot two. Was it a Penobscot or a tripper? It was a uh, Penobscot. Yeah. Oh, right? wow. Yeah. Yep. Um, yeah. So, and the trippers are more, are heavier. Yeah. Yeah. So, so the, there's, there's two kinds, well, there's multiple canoes, but um, three kinds though. 
that the, that the program uses. Yeah, yeah. So there's the Penobscots that the first years use. And then there's the trippers that the far Norths use. Um, and they're a little bit wider and heavier and meant for more whitewater. And then the pack canoes are, why, why are they better? Just cause they can, they, yeah, it, it was for the trip up to the copper mines so that you could transport them easier. Okay. They're canoes that fold up like a tent basically. And you can, yeah, put them in planes and fly them. They're like the size of a pack. So it blows my mind that, that I know. I've never actually seen one. They, they're, the only I would say like literally the only reason we use them is for the travel purposes. Oh really? Like they're they're not great quality wise. I mean it's absurd that they can pack into a pack and then you can like put them together. Yeah. But they're like mesh material. It's a canvas material with just like poles in inside that you put together like a tent pretty much. Yeah. yeah. And so they can crumple pretty easily and that did happen on our cop. <laughs> <laughs> that might have been user error, I think. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so well, yeah, so regardless, like there's error. you're you're throwing around a lot of weight and it's it's a lot different. The pre trip training is like no matter how much you prepare, obviously there's some stuff that you just have to do on trail. Um but that does come down to a lot of especially I was just kind of thinking about my first portage that I ever did. And knowing without a doubt that was the hardest thing I'd ever done in my life up to that point, like physical wise and, and like honestly a little bit mentally, like that was one of the hardest things I'd ever, if not the hardest thing I'd ever have to do, I'd, I'd ever done in my life up to that point. Like it was, and I had, I think I had the canoe and we were going through, it's called, there's a little bit of uh it's called loon shit is what we call it. It's pretty much, it's like, it's like quicksand mud. It's like the consistency of like wet concrete and you can just be walking along. Um, and you can kind of tell once you've like been around it, but if you haven't been around it and you're just kind of walking, you might just think it's mud, but all of a sudden you can be like waist high in this muck, just with this big heavy canoe or packs on your back um, and not know what's going on. So I think this first portage had some of that. Um, and it was a, it was a decent, it was decently far where like you were kind of walking, like, when the heck am I going to get to the end of this portage? And you just get to the end of it and you just chuck the canoe off gently into the water. That's why usually it's better to, like walk into the water so you can just kind of toss it off and you're not going to hurt the canoe. Cause if you try and flip the canoe while you're still on land, you have to be way more careful cause you don't want to ding it, ding it up. Obviously. I love just running into the water and just toss it. Yeah. Off you, yeah. Water. You just like, Oh gosh. Yeah. And especially cause you're definitely sweating at that point. Oh yeah. Um, there's bug, you're getting bit by bugs the whole time. It's yeah, it's, it's a process and a half. Um, but it's just a lot, it's a lot different going from this pre-trip training to like honestly on trail. Um, which is why it's so important for these kids to kind of take that responsibility on themselves while they're here to kind of learn all that kind of stuff. Another thing that comes to mind is, um, like the, the knots that we have to learn. So there's a bunch of different knots that we, or there's probably like five or six that we teach the kids. Uh, more than that. I don't know the number, but there's um, for sure more than that. I think I used one the whole trip. Yeah. Well, so there, well, so there, <laughs> the, the three that I've remembered, <laughs> that's actually the, two, two, the, the three ball. that I've remembered that I've used the most after the trip would like, they're the most versatile. If you have these three down, I think you're pretty, you can do a pretty good job. There's one, the bowline, which is, it's just, it just, you just make a loop. That's not going to move, right? It's not going to cinch. It's not going to move. It's just, it's just a, uh, fixed knot. Fixed knot. There you go. Uh, then there's the double half hitch, which you can tie super easy and it'll just cinch right up to That's whatever you knot. tie it to. Yeah. The double half hitch. That's my knot. And then there's the taut line, which is, um, it's like a cinching it's knot. A, it's an adjustable knot. So when you have tension on it, the knot doesn't move. But if you use, like if you put your fingers on the knot, you can adjust it. You can slide it wherever you want it. But then yeah. once you pull from like the, 
the working end. Is that what it's called? Running end. Running end. Once you pull from the from the running, yeah, the working end is where you tie the knot, and the running end is like all the extra spool that you have. Um, if you pull it on the taut line from that side, it's not going to move. But if you pull it from the working end, then it's, you can cinch it wherever you want. Um, so those are the three are kind of, but there's a bunch anyway. Um, but that's the same thing. You can tell when you get up when you get up on trail and you're setting up the tarps and that kind of stuff on your first campsite. You can tell what kids didn't take their knot seriously because you go over there and I, I have a couple kids in mind. You go over there like, hey, like did you like you, you're supposed to tie up the tarp? Like how's it looking? Like yep, it's good. It's like oh this knot doesn't look right because you can tell when you like after you've been around enough if it if it looks right or if it's oh, whatever. Yeah. And you can tell by just pulling on them if it's gonna work or not. So sometimes like oh that's right that's like that's it and you pull on it like you poke it you poke it and this is me from personal experience, poke it and it just like it blows up it's like that's not the right knot i should not be able to tug on it and it come apart so it really um and that's the thing too that i talk about in the book a little bit is when you get up on trail the the situations that you get yourself in and the portages that you get yourself in and and like either like the windy or like rainy all those conditions they're the same for every single person on the trip right so like if you get on this lake it's like it's not you're not doing bad a bad job paddling or you weren't like you didn't tie a bad knot because mother nature was just only raining on you or only like being like only making bugs bite bite you while you're trying to do it all this kind of stuff it's like it's like that for everybody on your crew so it's it's all on you and how much responsibility you took on like pre-trip training um and then how you kind of transition that into when you get on trail even if you weren't like didn't do the best job um pre-trip you can still take like responsibility for that during the trip and ask like, Hey, like just have, have the, like be humble enough to ask somebody like, Hey, like I, I, yep, you're right. I don't know how to tie this knot. Like, can you show me? And so I, so I don't need, so I don't need your help every single time, which I think is the big thing for these kids to kind of realize that, um, the more responsibility you're able to take, like the better the, the, the trip will be, honestly. Um, and I think consequently to that you learn a lot of life lessons from making those mistakes on trail so yeah. like the people using your not example like you just learn to do things right the first time so you don't have to redo things and then you get put in like the leadership roles we can talk about like kind of the jobs that we assign later but um, having those leadership roles where you're in charge of like the whole crew and making those decisions and you just kind of get put in those situations where you learn those life skills that pertain all the way throughout the rest of your life. For sure. Yeah. And, and it's kind of, it's kind of tough a little bit for the guides to realize that you're like, you're dealing with like high school age kids. They're not even, they're not that much older. I guess it's a year after your, your first year of, so what does that put you at? 20, 19, probably. No, like probably 19, 19 years 20. old is the first time you can guide. But some of the guides are a little, like are older. They do it for two or three summers out or for like, I mean, some of them have, have come back after like they'll guide for a little bit and then they'll go do like some sort of um whatever other life stuff that they've got going on and they'll come back even um and guide but it's it's and that's i i thought about this term i don't remember why you made me think of it but this trip is like it's for the kids right so it's sometimes i feel like it's hard for the guides to kind of get over the hump of like I'm going on this trip. So it's like, it's kind of partly mine and they know it's like, it is for the kids, but sometimes you, you need to make those kids make those mistakes or just let the kids make those mistakes. Um, one instance that comes into my head is we were, we were paddling on my first trip and, um, everybody. So there are three, there's usually like a, a standard, a standard crew has nine people, three people per canoe. 
the person in the front is the bow and they're kind of the motor when you're paddling. Then the person in the stern of the back of the canoe is um, steering you wherever you need to go. And there's somebody that is just sitting down in the middle of the canoe and not paddling. And they're the navigator. So they have the map and they're telling them, tell you where to go. And this instance on my trip, um, everybody in each canoe thought that everybody else was like navigating. And so nobody was. And so our guys just kind of let us, let us get lost. And so then like they waited for about 30 minutes to an hour and one of them's just like, Hey, like, where are we guys? And so then obviously everybody starts looking around like, Oh, we're like, right. We're not like, I don't, we're just following them. We're like, I think we're right here. We're like, no, we're not at all. It turned out we were literally not on any of the maps we had anymore. We didn't have any map of where we were. We had gone down past the last map we had. So we had, we literally had no idea. So luckily um, you bring a GPS with you out there, but you like to not ever have to take it out, but you have it just in case something like that happens. Um, and so we took it out. So the guy had to like, actually he tried to make us get back at first, but then it was like two hours and we literally could not get back to where, like we couldn't get back on the maps. We had no idea where we were. So we took out the GPS and they were looking at it. And obviously like the, our guys were pissed for like, not the rest of the day, obviously, but they were like not happy that we had no idea where we were going. And, um, led you off of the map off the map yeah we literally didn't know we were in the middle we could have been yeah in the middle of canada we had no idea where we were no but it's definitely i've heard like a couple of stories like that of like similar situations where the kids just aren't paying attention and the guides it's not their job that day <coughs> excuse me like to be the navigator yep. so they're not going to do it like these kids are going to go where they are going to go and if they aren't paying attention then you might get lost for three hours it, I think I talked to Mary. So Mary was uh, a past program director and she is the sister of um, a bunch of the guys that we kind of hang out with in our little group. But uh, she had talked about, okay, this might be blowing it way up, but I think she let their, she let her kids, her crew like get off by like route changing off. Like they went so far that they had to literally change their route mid trip. Cause like she just let them get lost until like they, <laughs> she thought they learned the lesson or somebody figured it out. Maybe they just like went as Maybe she just didn't even say anything until somebody in the crew decided to look at the map and be like, where the heck are we? Um, yeah. Cause that, I mean, it, it's, and, but that's the thing is I feel like that would only take one time for those kids to learn that lesson. Whereas if you keep correcting these kids when like, they're just making small minute, like if you just micromanage the whole trip from like a guide's perspective, you're going to get so much less out of it than if like, if you let the kids make a mistake, like, okay, let's not do that again. You know what I mean? Cause it sucks when you paddle, like the whole like every day you're trying to wake up early so that you can get like a good start to the day, get some good distance, get lunch at a good, at a decent time. Cause you're always starving. And then, so you can get into camp at a decent time. Cause if you get into camp quicker, then you can eat quicker, yep, you, yep. whatever you can do everything. You can dry your stuff. Time, yeah. yeah you, can, you can have a lot more sleeping time too. So <laughs> it's like the whole, every day you, you're, you're not really rushing, but like, you want to have a good productive day. So when you go three or four hours out of the way, it really sucks. Yeah. And it can take away from like, so there's usually a couple layover days built into your trip too. Yeah. And sometimes those have to turn into half layover days because you, like you need to get to the end of your trip, like by the end of your trip. Cause yeah. that's when the bus is going to go, come back to pick you up. And uh, it's so nice having a layover day too, instead of a half. Cause you don't have to move camp. Yeah. Or the half Labor Day, you have to pack up everything and then go and then unpack and you still have a half day to do whatever, but a full day you can just wake up and just. Yeah, that's, it's freaking, uh, yeah. So I guess, so for our first trips, I know I was second session. What were you guys? I was first. Okay. I was first session. I, I was first session, but we had, 
so I think typically it's what we what the program tries to do. I mean, Zach, you can attest to this, but usually try to do two guys cruise and two girls cruise first session, and then two guys cruise, two girls cruise second session. So eight yeah, it's total. kind of just whatever the total is. We just kind of even it out. And, the, okay. and these sessions are first session is earlier in the summer, and then second session goes right after the first session gets done, so later in the summer. Yeah, like you would, they come up on the bus. And get dropped off as the first session gets picked up. Yeah, yep. And they go back. But anyway, usually it's like an even number. But for the year I was at, we had four first session and only two uh, crews second session. So we did like a first session, like the first part of our trip was a first session trip until we got to Lake Sass, which is like the um, lake that you resupply at. Mm-hmm. And then we ended with like a typical second session okay. trip. So that's what I didn't know because we, we lake hopped the first half of the trip and then got yep. on the river the second half. Yeah, which is a normal second session crew. So is first session the opposite of that? First session, yeah. you No, first session you just kind of lake hop and maybe take a river at the start. Like maybe take the blood vein into sass. But you're, you're not and going then up like, river, are you? Not going up river? Yeah, you, you can be. You can be. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But then the second part of the trip is more lake hopping usually. Yeah. See, I think I. I don't Where think second I session like you get to be a no. I didn't. I liked what that we got. To yeah. Because kind of I was like, because like obviously the lake hopping is, is nice because you get to see a bunch of stuff, but at the same time you need so much more portaging that when like especially you don't really know what you're missing until you get onto a river where it's like obviously if you're going down if you're going downstream it's way easier paddling you can cover way more ground. So then when I thought I was like, oh, first session. Is it like just the opposite or is it, I guess you said it was more lake hopping than anything. Is that what yours kind of was, Zach? I think it's, a, I, I think it's still equal parts. It just kind of depends on your route. Like okay. You do rivers on first session, but you just split them up. So you might be on one for four days and then you do some lake hopping and then you get back on a river for okay. five days. That so like it's still equal parts. I think it's just split up differently. Yeah. Okay. We, uh, and what day I'm trying to think cause. It's not like we were on the river for like the whole second half of the trip. Like you get on did you do, the you pigeon. pigeon. I, I, yeah, yeah, pigeon too. Okay. You get on that river like, I want to say day like eight or eighteen or nineteen, or whatever, out of your yeah thirty. So for what? That you actually get on the river. So it's oh, not like you're on there for a was long right after, time. Because we we lake hopped until Sass, and so um, the way these the these first year trips work. Um, you need to, you can't carry enough food. You can't carry all your food for the whole 30, for up to the 26, whatever, how many days you're up on trail. What is it, the days exactly? I forget. It's 26 trail days. 26 yeah. trail so days. So 26 okay. trail days. And you can't carry, the crews can't carry enough food in just one pack. Um, so like when they go on the far north trips that we talked about, they bring all, because they can't resupply, so they bring all of their food, so they have to double port a bunch of stuff. We'll, we'll talk about that later because that would, that would suck. I, I've never had, I, that's how I realized because on this Bonjour trip last weekend, we had a double portage and I'd never had to do that before. Like this is awful having to portage the, so you go through the whole portage trail, drop yourself off and then go walk back for the rest of your stuff. Cause you can't carry it twice. That, that would just be a bummer. But so this first, this first year, they only bring one pack. No, well, you have a, you have a breakfast, a lunch and a dinner. Yes. So big, you have three pack. meal packs, but you can't carry enough in just one pack for the whole month. Yeah. So you have to resupply halfway through. So on second session, we lake hopped until we got to pretty much like SAS. And then we, there's, I think there's like two or three days it took us to get actually on the river because there's a bunch of. So I think of, it's more than that because yeah, you you go down. We well, can make it. You can make it more or less. But okay. if you if you wanted to go straight there, you get. I th- actually I think we took the blood vein to my second my the year I guided. I think we took the blood vein to the. Oh wait, we took one river to a different one. 
but it was like a day or two after sass well you take after sass then you have to like go up little ways and then you have to do little sass the portage yes yeah we did that and then you finally get on the pigeon i think it was day like 18 or 19 i'm not even sure probably anyways um yeah so going out actually so talking about resupply what is your what are your guys' go-to care package items so one cool thing that that the program does is they they let the kids each kid gets a i don't know how big the box is it's like maybe a foot and a half by six inches or something it's not it's not a big box you split it with it's like a shoe box it's a little bigger a little bigger than a shoe box and you split it with two other guys or, or girls so there's three people per care package box and you can put like i mean not whatever you want in it but like candy pop like anything you think you would want when you're on this trip into this care package so then for you when you resupply you get this little package of like just a bunch of kind of fun yeah, stuff that you, you, have. you have a layover day planned so you resupply with all your food and you get to chow on your care package yeah food. so what's your guys go-to care package stuff like what what would you what do you especially because like it's different because like the first year you don't know what you're gonna like crave when you're up there so you like you don't really know what you're throwing in like your candy and pop just what everybody says to but like when you when you've done so many trips you're like okay i know i want like mine was what is it for some reason like just because there's not a lot of sugar in any of the food that you bring up there like there's a couple eh, things there was a lot of sugar i was um, gonna say no, I, I like the normal stuff like in your normal yeah, yeah 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 what what like all the fruits have like a bunch of sugar, that's like sugar. That's the Hudson Bay bread like has a shit ton of but sugar. But not candy sugar. I'm <laughs> yeah. talking about like anyway, <laughs> bad example maybe. But like there's just the there's, candy that we just... eat every lunch. Okay, okay, How many let's... calories do you think you burn in a day? A lot. Paddling all day. Because well, yeah, well, I like that question though. The yeah, care package. Yeah, yeah that's I'm just curious what you guys think as far as calories. Like I know do you know? I think at least three thousand. If what are you supposed? If two thousand like, is normal and you're just grinding all day, hey Siri, how many calories are you supposed to burn in a day? It's two thousand, because every every package. Okay, I found this on the web for how many? Ca- yes, yeah. two thousand. Two thousand. That's what every single package. What have you ever heard? Of it's, I think nutritional label says based off a of two thousand calorie diet, so that's like the standard. Okay. I think it's but, way more. Than but we 2000. but but that's like an average. So I think girls yeah. burn a little less. I think guys burn a little bit more. So I, I would guess at least over three thousand. Yeah, I would guess like that. I would guess more than that. You think so? Yeah. Yeah. Because like Tim was talking about before, like you just you wake up and grind. Like you you wake yeah. up, taking camp is a bunch of work. Getting in your canoe, you just paddle is a bunch of work. If you can't paddle anymore, so that means you're gonna porridge, which is a bunch of work. And like and so you're just so a lot of like the food you bring, you just house calories. Yeah, one more little side note, just because we're right. You just yeah, yeah. I remembered it, but I want to get back to the care package question. You were talking about like how you have to paddle, and if you're not paddling, you're portaging are like the first time we got on the lake like the first day of my first trip whatever brand new we have to paddle through this like t- super skinny windy river it's almost like a swamp so and it was super sunny so there's just like a bunch of bugs and i happen to be the guy not paddling which is almost worse at some points because you're just sitting there getting like tortured by bugs. Get bugs yeah <laughs> and i was just like holy shit like we need to get to land like yeah. i need to walk like i need to start portaging like this is so ass i can't just sit here and do nothing i'm just getting tortured and like first day so like whoever it was in my stream we were definitely going side to side like, <laughs> you're not going straight so it was just terrible i'm like we need to get to land like i need to get out of here and we get to the portage and i'm like wow this is way worse it's than worse. just sitting in a canoe <laughs> yeah because then you're actually like portaging the heavy shit and you're walking and you're still getting bit by bugs and it's still hot out so 
it's kind of funny how you think like okay like i need to get out of here and onto the portage but it's like no that's not much better yeah, it's still a lot of work which is why those layover days are nice and, and yeah. that's and that's like i remember my it, this is my first year it was my guiding year the first kids like for whatever reason we didn't get our liberty until like eight or nine and we were grinding until then like it was just like the porches were way harder the pencil streams that zach was talking about in the last episode that's like if you see on a map it's and if these streams or rivers are are so small that they can only draw with pretty much like the the width of a pencil like that's that's called a pencil stream and so when you see that on a map, you don't know if that means that there's water there or maybe it's dried up or maybe there's a bunch of beaver dams on there. So you don't really know what to expect until you get there. And, and half the time, you could be halfway through and it could be going well and then it's not going well. Um, so we had done a bunch of that kind of stuff. And it was just tough until, like, I think we didn't have our first layover until eight or nine and that layover day was just, like, was super, super needed. Um, but like what Tanner said before, we, you always usually plan another layover day for, like, halfway or for your resupply because – when you're getting all like when you're getting all your a all your food for the second half of the trip and then your care package and there's also um, letters that we'll talk about probably a little bit later, um, but any fam- family or friends or anybody can write you a letter and then you get a bu- you just get a bunch of them for this that are in your care package as well, um, and then you, then you can read them hopefully during your layover day while you're snacking on what you think are the best things to have in your care package. So, so what is it? Do I think for well, so for sure some kind of candy. Um, and what, oh my gosh, I've, okay. That's really specific. I know, I know, but no, <laughs> but like, and so what Tanner's talking about, like, so the candy that you have up on trail is usually like, um, just like quick stuff that like you can suck on like hard candy. So like, uh, no, I was talking about for like, for every meal, like oh, for every yeah. lunch oh, for meal, you get like a candy bar. So yeah, I think there's Babe Ruth's crunches, Snickers, Kit Kats, yeah. so, Skittles anyway, sometimes. So there's usually some kind of like candy that you, like I remember one, <laughs> one year, one of my buddies, he got a, he bought a whole bag of like this giant bag of these fizzy Skittles that were so bad, but we like, we, you have to eat them cause you can't, you pack enough stuff in your care package that for the most part you like, you eat all of it before like you start back up because your packs are so like packed full already that you don't have a ton of, ton more room. So I would say, and I, I would say I, I never really perfected the care package because my first year I didn't know what I was doing. My second year, like I didn't, I didn't really, I wasn't in the mood the day that we were packing them. I didn't really take it very serious, which is a, definitely a, my fault. Um, my first year care package, I put a floaty in there, which is stupid, but honestly didn't mind it. And it, it was the funny thing about that was, um, I didn't see, I didn't look at the package before I put it in my care package. This is my first year, so what I didn't notice is that there was a there's a child, an infant on this floaty, not an adult. So when I took it out of the package, when I got it in my care package, it was like that big, like the, this floaty <laughs> that I brought for a trail. Like it was oh. literally that big because I it's like what the, this is so not right. for like a like a child, yeah, like a, literally <laughs> like a child. It's like this, so like it fit around one of my legs, I think. Like it didn't fit, like my body didn't fit through it. Maybe it did, but it was like it was so small. Um, but another funny story, my first trip. So one, the, obviously the water's a little bit colder up north, like in Canada. And so some people, they'd, they'd, they'd strap, they'd tie, um, some of their like beverages that they brought, like the, if they brought pop or Powerade or Gator or whatever, they tie it to a rock and throw it in the water. So it like sink down to the bottom of the lake and hopefully chill a little bit. Cause that's one of the bummers when you're on a trip like this, is you, like you start to miss cold things like ice cream or even just like any ice beverage. Cause like there's no ice there or fridge or refrigerator or the freezer, obviously. So like you don't really have anything that's cold while you're up there. So my buddy was, he tied his, his, like this drink that he was waiting like the whole trip to have. He's like, I put this, I think it was a pop. He's like, I put this in my care package. Like I'm so pumped. 
he tied a rock to this this beverage and he chucked it in the water to sink and he didn't tie it to anything on land so he just <laughs> chucked it in the water like, so it just sank <laughs> to the bottom of the lake there's literally nothing attached to it because he didn't tie it off so all of us were just dying laughing because he was yeah he didn't tie it to anything but yeah so i think somebody traded me a mountain dew for a gator that i brought and the mountain dew was really good i remember that was like because I, I did tie it to something and put it down to the bottom of the lake and that was perfect you you told me after that that mountain dew is good so i brought a mountain dew yes. and it was it, for yeah, whatever reason was mountain dew hits well, the you don't have like uh what is it the carbonated, the carbonated yeah you don't have anything and the caffeine it's just it's nice yeah so i guess what what else what other things because you get because like the lunches are like you get beef jerky and lunch you get candy bar like to so get kind of a lot of that, like that kind of small stuff, but like as far as stuff that you could actually pack, that would make sense. I did chips and salsa. Yeah. Oh yes. Chips okay. And, that, I did chips and queso. Oh, okay. I did queso as well. That was yeah. the, that's another thing. Chip, salsa and queso was fire. Yeah. I think my second year. That was probably one of my favorites. Um, I also just had like it's super random, but you're asking, so it was like those Airheads extremes like yeah. strips. <laughs> I'm a oh. big candy guy too, so those hit the spot. I think someone brought uh, um, peel peel away licorice was really good too. Kind of same oh, thing. Oh, someone brought Oreos and you could we made milk. That's what it was. I was gonna say someone brought milk, but we can we have like powdered milk yeah, that we milk. bring. Yeah, whatever. Yep. And so I don't know who brought Oreos, but we had Oreos and dipping the Oreos in the milk. Yeah, that that'd was be a play. Good. I didn't even think about that. Yeah, it's fun too. Like we have, you have so much so much of this junk food pretty much and only one day to eat it because you can't pack it really and so you kind of just like mix and match like trade stuff like whatever you get sick of your own share stuff yeah you get sick and then you want stuff. something like oh i didn't bring that Can yeah I have some of that and yeah. yeah it's pretty fun to just like trade stuff with people and I brought, i'm trying to think what else you guys ever had those like oatmeal cream pies yeah oh, yep, yep. um i also brought we used to always get them at gas stations when we were little, like those little like wax like bottles with the little oh, juice yeah. in them, and you like oh, bite off the top yeah, and yeah. like squeeze it in, and then we'd use the wax because I always had my birthday was always when I was on trail, and then also other people, and then we'd reuse the wax for like the candles. Oh, nice! We'd make yeah, candles, nice. so we'd take like the string that we tie the like the food bags with. Yep, yep. And we'd like Dip melt them. the wax in that, you and then we candle. And then, yeah, yeah. we make candles. Cool. That's a good idea. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I didn't think purpose, I had extra treasure goldfish for sure. Ooh. Oh, yeah. Those are good. We, get, we get probably pretty weird with this. Yeah, it's, it's – gosh, it's – and that's the other thing is you have to, like, mouth this stuff. You, you know that, uh, like, Australian licorice? Oh, yep. Yeah. That's like super Carl good. Carl brought that. That was so Ooh. good. All right, so going off of that then, what's your favorite meal on trail? Oh, my gosh. Like, breakfast, lunch, matter, dinner. Matter. Favorite meal. Breakfast start. Oatmeal with – Apple slices. No way. The, the granola is my favorite. Heck no. Well, you can't ask him and then shut it down. No, yeah, <laughs> yeah. no, you're. That's wrong. That's, no, that's I, wrong. I was not a big fan of the granola because it's really? cold. I like a hot breakfast. Oh, I see. And the oatmeal with the apple slices and then the brown sugar. Oh my gosh, I could. I think guess. my favorite was. This is also kind of like a. If family. you say multi meal year now. No. <laughs> it's uh. So we'd make chili, and then we'd put. Like a bunch of cheese in the chili, so it was like a, like a cheesy chili. Like you would like a bowl of chili, yeah, you put yeah. the cheese in, but we'd put our version of cheese in it, and then we would like take a camp cheese. You mean that you, that you pack? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then we would take, and then I would take a tortilla, put peanut butter on the tortilla, yep. and then yeah. put the chili in that, and then I'd make it like a burrito with peanut butter. Oh, oh so you, you went off the breakfast thing? Yeah, see, I was like, I was like all meals. Oh, okay. Yeah, Definitely because breakfast, because breakfast there's. 
So the breakfast are pretty breakfast and lunches are pretty standard, I'd say. There's like a couple meals of granola, but otherwise it's like multi meal or oatmeal for probably seventy five percent of the trip. Yeah. Packability wise. Yeah, pack, yeah. yeah, just because you like you, you just have a yeah. limited amount of space. Yeah. There's a couple days for layovers where you bring like dehydrated eggs and bacon. Oh that yeah, need that pancakes. might be my favorite meal. Pancake mix. That, that's my favorite meal. <sighs> I don't that know if you can consider layover meals as it's tough. It's Come tough. On, yeah. Well, oh, and that's that's the other thing too is like, and you bring this bacon that no, no do you have bacon? Yeah. I don't think you do. Oh, you yeah. do? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, but that, that kind of sketches me out. Any any meat that you don't have to refrigerate is sketch. I was totally fine with it. I mean, yeah, you're fine with it because so you're in the middle of the woods. So good. Like, and then we do, and you do dehydrate. Um, so the way that uh, I like a lot of the protein, like animal products that we get up on the trail is we dehydrate uh, meatballs and what other meat is jerky. Jerky, yep, and beef jerky. Um, so, yeah, okay, that's what's your favorite? Wait, you didn't answer. I, what? Oh, I, yeah, you're right. I um, just want to take this time to share with the rest of the world the whole peanut butter thing. Oh, because I true. feel like with the spaghetti. Yeah, so I think that's kind of like our families. I know it started with the Spethmans or you guys. I think it was no, my dad. Definitely you guys. Yeah, yeah, okay, really? Yes, dude, hundred percent. Okay, I got, I got, I think in Nipawa. Yeah, that's where it was. On a fishing started. trip, yeah. I just saw Peter do it one time. Anyway, our families have this weird thing where it's just us kind of kids. Is you can literally put peanut butter on anything, on anything, you put it and on some eat bread, it with anything. It, yeah. yeah, on some bread. So our, I, th- I would say the biggest thing we probably do it with is peanut butter on a piece of bread with spaghetti, like normal spaghetti, like with the sauce and everything putting it on the bread and making like a little peanut butter bread spaghetti sandwich Fold it like hot dog style yeah. and then eat it and Gosh. it is so good yeah it's, and it fills you up more it, it oh it's just so the creaminess good. i feel like is the yeah so that's right that's what zach was talking about with his burrito and on one of my trips i know i had that in my mind i wanted that so bad so we did tortillas with peanut butter and then the spaghetti inside it's of that so good yeah it's and everybody was so skeptical, and they're like, "Oh, we can't waste the tortillas, like, because you tortillas up there are huge. You yeah. use them for like every meal." And they're like, Come on, "Like, we don't want to do whatever." And somebody was on my side, and they're like, "Whatever, let's just try it." Yeah. And then we had them, and they're like, "We're doing this again. Yeah, it's so, <laughs> like, it's so good." Yeah. Okay, so man. for anybody out there, you gotta try peanut butter with spaghetti, peanut butter bread with spaghetti. Yeah, and we did do it. <laughs> um, so, yes. what was your favorite neck? Yep. Okay, I think. Dude, I honestly think granola. I love what? cereal so much. I do. I granola for really every good. meal. It's so, I would have it every meal. Yeah, dude, I think it's so. So good. Honestly, like no, like that was your favorite meal out of any meal. I think. I think so. I always look forward. Because what? Because what else? I think that was my least favorite. No meal. way. When we had to have it for breakfast, I was pissed. Oh, I, I pretty was much just so didn't pumped. eat it. I was so pumped. I love, dude. Oh I love. I love it. Yeah, I don't know why. Um, Actually, say, grape nuts was the worst. Okay, but if okay, but if I had ma- if you could have maximum amount of unlimited. Lunch food, I think it'd be lunch every day though. That like I love the bannock. Are you more of a bannock or okay? First of all, bannock. set out the scene for this. So, yeah. bannock, if you don't know, it's basically like a dense bread. Um, you basically like we pre-make it before the trip, and so it's like a powder. It looks like a bag of flour basically, but then you it has other stuff in it that we pre-mix beforehand, and then when you're up there. You mix it with water and it doesn't have essentially like a flavor to it. You're the one that creates the flavor for it. Yeah. So every crew member has to make at least one on their trip. And so they have to get creative with what they're going to put into it. So like people will make like blueberry bannock or um, maple cinnamon brown sugar, like stuff like that to yeah. make it flavorful. And so, um, yeah, so it's like a, a big piece of bread basically. Um, and then Hudson Bay bread is another item for lunch that we have. 
and it's essentially like a big granola bar that has a lot of calories in it's it. It's a calorie-dense granola bar. That, yeah, because you're burning make, so many yeah. calories. And we, we pre, you pre-bake and make those beforehand, and then the bannock, you make the powder, so you make it on trail. Um, and again, you can make that, those whatever flavor you want them as well. So And you make them before before you leave, so you have a little more leeway. Like yeah. You could go, go to the store and grab stuff, whereas like the bannock up on trail, it's just wherever you have in your pack. So yeah, you like do, fruit or something. Yeah, so you do pack like a bunch whatever, of seasonings like and fruit and stuff. Yeah. yeah. So what? what, what dude, I think guys... I think the lunch, dude. If, well, like, but would you prefer bay bread or bannock? Bay bread, I think. No bannock for me, for sure. Wait, no, 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 bannock. I meant bannock. Yeah. yeah. Um, it did depend though, because some people made it bad. Yeah. So like you, that's true. Do you have, do you have nine bannock? Is that how you do it? Yeah. One yeah, for each ten. kid. Yeah. Yep. So you you should have yeah you're right yeah so you should have enough bannock so that each kid participant gets to make one on the trip and uh-huh. so the thing with the bannock is so you bring these reflector ovens up onto on trail and so pretty much what you do is it's 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 full it folds down and when you fold it up you stick it right in front of the fire and then it acts as kind of like an oven it's like a reflector oven kind of thing and there's a there's a little bit of an art to it but it kind of just takes patience and forethought because you have to you have to cook it uh in camp before like the next day so like if you want it for lunch the next day you have to make it like that the night before so some kids, if they wait, either well, actually, sometimes they might not have a choice. You might like need it the next day or plan on it, but you but you get in the camps like a lot later than you think. So then you you're up super late, and once do once the sun goes down, the bugs up there. People, it's kind of funny because people in Minnesota think the bugs are bad, which they kind of are, like depending on where you go. But then you get up into the, like the woods in Canada, yeah. and it's bad. Like they're so bad, and which is then funny because then you go back to Minnesota after the trip's done. It's like oh, like this isn't bad, like. No, yeah, not at all. Yeah, your perception totally changed. And then I went to school down in Nebraska, and, and kind of a little hit at the Nebraskans. Like some people are like, the bugs are so <laughs> bad know. right now. And there's like three, like in this whole, in like the whole thing. Yeah, so it's it's kind of funny. There's how people's like, but they haven't known anything. Like to them, that's bad, right? Like that's just how your perception is. But if you've been where it's like it's bad, like and up in the, so it's funny. Some some morning or some lunches, the next day you'll wake up. They're not wake up. You'll like. You'll get to a place for lunch and you take out the bannock that you pre-cooked the night before and it's just caked in mosquitoes. Like uh-huh. the whole top uh-huh. is just caked in mosquitoes. Um, and and yeah, I just remember one, I was in my head, it was the first night that anybody had made bannock on my first trip. And so they didn't really know what they were doing and they didn't know how hot the oven had to be or just how, or how hot the fire had to be to like do the reflector oven kind of stuff. And you could just hear everybody else was in their tents for the night. And there are these two guys that stayed up because one one guy stay up was gonna stay up with this kid who's it was his turn to make the bannock. But it was the first one, so we didn't really know. And you could just we were in our tents trying to go to bed. And you could hear them screaming outside because the bugs were so bad. They're sitting in front of this fire trying to get this bannock cooked. Um, and they didn't cook it all the way through. It's like the next morning it kind of sucked. I was gonna but. say I feel like the biggest part of the fl- like it's not even the flavor of the bannock. Like any flavor is gonna be good when you're up there. Yeah. But how you cook it is For how sure. good it is gonna be. Yeah. So it's it's tough. Um, but yeah, so it's just, just a crazy, it's just a crazy world up there, honestly. Um, and that's the thing with the, with these kind of stories, we have like a million that we could tell, especially with our three, just first stories combined. Um, but it kind of leads into just that first, those first few experiences that, that even though they might be tough and you might have a, a, a rough time, the first couple, like some, like at different points of the trip, like looking back, you're always like, you might be in the middle of it and wishing it like wanting to go home or getting homesick. But I would, I would say like a lot of kids as they leave, they're definitely going to miss being on trips like this and going on, on these kind of trips. 
Um, so we just kind of want to give you a little bit of an insight into our first trips and just some of the fun stories that kind of come out of them. And even though it's, it's really hard and it's a lot more responsibility than these kids are used to, um, it's always worth it and almost always life changing. And you always have all these friendships and experiences that you have like for the rest of your life. Um, I feel like it's always like the crappy moments, like the really hard times that like bring out the best stories when you get home and like, those are the best memories Yeah, is like when you were in the, like the hardest times, like when the mosquitoes were so terrible on like the portage or like when it was like so freaking cold, you couldn't even open your candy bar or whatever, just little stuff like that, that in the moment you're just like almost laughing at how like shitty of a position you're in for sure. But it just make makes all that so much better. And these are kind of the stories that we, we love just like telling each other and like, and having when we get together. And so we just hope that you guys hopefully enjoy listening to them too. And we'll stick around and cause we've got plenty more and we definitely want to get some more guests on here too, to talk about their experiences and trips that they've been on. So hopefully you'll join us for this crazy time. Yeah. Thanks for tuning in guys. We'll talk to you guys later. Thanks for tuning into the Voyager Way podcast. Follow us on social media at the Voyager Way for more content from all our outdoor adventures and plenty of how-to videos to get you started on some adventures of your own.